This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Rumya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Ms. Amutha not joining us today, folks. Got some work going on. Shh, we'll keep that secret for now. But all will be told. I mean, generally, I do like to tell those secrets, depending on who we have on the program as a guest, as a co-host. There's always secrets to tell, and I'm a big tattletale that way. Uh, but, you know, there's people we have to reserve that for. Maybe President CEO David Arrington, when he's on the show tomorrow, we'll see what we can rattle out of his cage. Speaking of rattling out of the cage, coming out from BC, Grant Hardy joining me on the program today. Mr. Hardy, welcome aboard. I'm glad to have you with me. Thank you, sir. I just, I, I want to know if Ramya is working then what do you call what we're doing certainly not working <laughs> we're just certainly not well that's what i tell people like where do you get lucky enough to show up get money be like the class clowns and learn so much like you're in class and enjoy it that is the description of our job i know right it's pretty sweet if you actually think about it we get to have a lot of fun talk to a lot of amazing people and uh yeah, what can I say? It's a really sweet gig. Well, and I haven't had a, a lot of chance to work with you because of that a bit of technical stuff that was uh, forcing you to have to jump right in and fill in my shoes, uh, very admirably, I might add. And it's really great, Grant, to be able to sit here today with you on that level and just like get ready to do a show. And uh, just as you said, have a lot of fun. So let's take a look first, folks, at what we have coming up for you today. We speak with Mother Hen. Of the Wheelie Peeps, Bean Gill, Bean Gill will be with us today on the program about the new show to air on AMI-tv. It's called Bush. How can we make the holidays more accessible? Leanne Barda stops by to give us some tips during our independent living segment. Also today on Know Your Rights, Danielle McLaughlin is by uh, joined today by disability advocate David Leposky. And now this is going to be a conversation on the most recent report on the implication of uh, the uh, the implication of the AODA being put into place. So we'll be getting into that conversation later on in the program during hour two. And that is going to be a tremendous conversation um, when that implicates, I can't say it today. I can't say the I word. <laughs> I'm struggling. So I keep coming up with implications. No, when that gets started, let's, let's use that for a bit. When they're able to get that going and we're able to see what this is going to do in enforcing accessibility and making sure that things are in place for us, no matter whatever delays come up with, those two will have a tremendous conversation later on in the show, Grant. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but I do want to bring up a recall because I want to talk a bit about breakfast and snacking. Uh, there's been a recall announced on some of Quaker Oats products that are out there, their granola ones particularly, with concerns. Once again, folks, we're going to hear that word with the potential of salmonella contamination. 
The recall covers some three dozen Quaker Oats granola cereals, snack mixes, and chewy bars, including those with chocolate chips, peanut butter chocolate chips, less sugar chocolate chip, dark chocolate chunk, oatmeal raisin, and other flavors. Most have a best buy date of August 2nd, 24 or earlier. The company says salmonella poisoning can lead to serious, even deadly infections in those with weakened immune systems, the very young and the very old. You can check the website QuakerGranolaRecall.com for more details. I'm Jackie Quinn. Thank you, Jackie. Implementation. I can't say it today, folks, and it's (laughs) driving me crazy. Sorry, Danielle. I know you'll say it right later when you're on the show. Anyway, I thought I'd go one more at it. Grant, when you look at the shelf life, and we talk about this with food items, particularly we see a best before. So we say, oh, it's, it's a day after the best before. Better throw it out. We know, oh, gosh, what are you doing? It's a best before. It's not a, yeah, eat this and you will die uh, before date. Right? It's it's nothing like that. But, boy, do we ever struggle with getting that concept down. Again, here we're talking a recall. We're talking salmonella. We've had enough of that with the um, melon scare that's currently going on that has led to multiple deaths in this country and in the United States. Yeah, I mean, it's so true because you have these foods that obviously, you know, meat, dairy, fruits, vegetables have to be consumed within a certain amount of time. But oftentimes that best before date is just literally like a marketing almost term, right? When you have packages that are totally sealed with, you know, things that can last years and years and years. And it's... I guess that's not so much the thing that makes us vulnerable. The thing that makes us vulnerable is the supply chain issues, which just remind mm. you like that like d- there's nothing we can do about it. We have no control over stuff like that. Well, I need to get scared about, and I know you guys heard this, especially when the strike was out there in the West Coast, and you know, so much was sitting on the docks and going to waste. So much sat on the docks, ready to be sent out on ships, no container ship, uh, you know, containers to put products in, and so much food and stuff went to waste during the pandemic. But when you see these best before, and I know we have to really get in our head, guys, it uh, you won't even notice that. A month or two on a lot of these products we're talking about, a year later, the quality isn't yeah. going to suffer unless you've had it sitting out in the sun or somewhere, you know, where where, where, where it is going to get damaged. But uh, it, it's fascinating how we have to really watch our language around these things or we have people throwing stuff out or thinking less of a product or not wanting to distribute a product out of fears people get sick when there are so many people out there would be quite happy to take something beyond its best before date to help feed their family. Uh, We're going to step aside for a couple moments, and Grant and I will return on the other side in a moment. How can we use to do this list to help us with our goals as we move forward into 2024 without getting ourselves stressed out? Michael Babcock, he's here, and he'll help us out with that after the break. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Remember that primetime special, ladies and gentlemen, that we've got out there with all of us involved and you. 
It's on December 29th, 8 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-TV, AMI-audio, and you'll find it around. So hopefully you can join us for that one-hour special, that primetime special. We've got some great comedy, some great live music on the show, and so much more. Even Mr. Grant Hardy, he's there. Beth is with you. And boy, do they... Uh take you behind the scenes in style on our program and that's all i'll say for now grant exactly even though we all we know because we have that insider knowledge we know what is contained in the special i'm still so excited like looking forward to the date to uh you know i don't know what checking this out with my family i don't know if you do stuff like that you know get your family I... in front of the tv whatever no, but do you guys? I mean, we used to years ago for different things, you know, watching certain things. But since I've been doing television work, um, no, I get the calls from like my sister, particularly, who's always full of comments. Hey, sis, sometimes she'll even watch this. Um, but do you, does your family get together? Because I know you said your mom has been enjoying the program. Yeah, my mom is uh, definitely a fan of the show, the entire show. Uh, yeah, we don't really watch because I don't live at home anymore. We don't. Uh, spend a lot of time watching it together but i don't know i was thinking the primetime special would be kind of fun yeah and especially if you can get anyone making food or any snacks it's another excuse exactly exactly <laughs> right <laughs> well i guess we shouldn't get too far ahead of ourselves it is the last monday before christmas and that means it is time to talk tech with michael babcock App news, device reviews, security advice, and more. It's time to talk tech with me, Michael Babcock. Get your dose of ever-changing technology knowledge right here on Kelly and Rumia. Michael, welcome to the show. Happy Monday. Thanks, Grant. It's 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 still unreal to me to think about the fact that next Monday I won't be here because it's Christmas already. I don't I don't know mm. where 2023 went. I know, I know, right? It's yeah, once you get under like I don't know, 45 days until Christmas or something. That countdown just goes way too fast. Yeah, speaking definitely. Of thing, speaking of things that go way too fast is that crazy task list that we all have to get through. This is something that I've struggled with a lot, so hoping you can help me out here. Now, you guys have talked about to Todoist on the show in the past, but uh, maybe you can just uh, remind us what it is. So Todoist is a task management tool that allows the end user to organize their tasks, set due date, give uh, your tasks uh, pri priorities. You can organize your tasks into projects and give your tasks labels. So it's kind of cool to be able to organize all of those tasks. I use Todoist as my, I need to get this done at some point in the future uh, probably sooner rather than later. Uh, but if I put it into Todoist when I'm looking through the Todoist application, I'll realize, oh, that's something I need to do. Um, Todoist also allows you to collaborate with others, which I think can be really useful if you're in a team environment and you and your team need to break projects down to get them uh, finished. Todoist is available on mobile, desktop, and on the web. And it is accessible with screen readers. Things have changed over the last little while um, and it, it's available on all of your platforms um, except for the blind shell classic too i'd really love to see it there i don't think it'll come but uh it's available on android iphone mac and windows mm. how 
good would you say the accessibility is? Because as we talked before, not necessarily the easiest, not available. Bang, now there we are. And I think nowadays we're we're seeing a lot quicker when things do arrive to assist when it comes to our technology and our screen reader needs. It's done pretty darn well. Tweaks, uh, whatever they've done before and who they've consulted with or whatever, um, things hit the ground looking pretty good. So Todoist has, has done some work. They've come and gone. Uh, gone. I've used Todoist uh, since 2017, I think it was. Uh, the other day, I finished my 7,000th task inside of Todoist, which is kind of cool to keep track of that. And over that time, Todoist has... Uh, for the most part, been accessible. Their desktop platforms have been more difficult to chat to navigate than what they are now. Now it's a really simple and easy to navigate interface. And the iOS application specifically has taken accessibility to the next level. For example, uh, they leverage the actions rotor. So if you need to complete a task, all you need to do is find that task, flick down once and double tap, and it's completed. You don't have to go into the task, and you don't have to go check boxes and mark the complete button. I find that to be really useful. The other feature that they've given is... The uh, company is called Doist, D-O-I-S-T, and in their Todoist application, uh, you can two-finger double tap if you're a voiceover user anywhere. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're looking at a list of your projects or you're looking at a custom view of all your labels, um, and that two-finger double tap will put you in the quick add list. Uh, one thing that I didn't mention with Todoist is, is in, uh, you can even throw this under an accessibility feature because you don't have to fiddle with it that much. If you have a task every Wednesday that says, uh, tell Kelly and Romeo what I want to talk about on Monday's segment, you can actually just write every Wednesday, tell Kelly and Romeo what I want to talk about on Monday or on Monday segment. And then every Wednesday, I will have that reminder pop up in my Todoist project list. And when I've completed it, it goes away until next month, uh, next Wednesday. So that's kind of cool to have that functionality and be able to access that anywhere. So if I had to say uh, accessibility on Todoist has improved and become a lot more smoother for people who haven't played with it uh, over the last that's year or so. That's tremendous. Uh, and how encouraging. Wow. Uh, let's talk about the accessibility of Mac. Uh, OS, how has it improved lately? Yeah, so Mac OS accessibility is uh, amazing because it used to be that you would use your arrow keys and voiceover would jump in and be like, oh, I know what you're trying to do. You want to navigate this way, not with your arrow keys. And now they seem to have fixed that. So you can actually use your up and down arrow keys to navigate through your tasks. You can type the letter Q inside of Todoist and that puts you in the quick add uh, dialogue. Uh, side note, both on Windows and Mac, you can set a system-wide hotkey. So I use Control-Q anywhere on my computer. If I hit Control-Q, that puts me in the quick add dialog, and I can add a task and hit enter, and it's added to my project manager. So that is really handy. Um, and then on the Mac, you can also use all of the keystrokes that are available. Uh, just search for the keystrokes, and you don't have to do anything special with uh, VoiceOver. Just start using those keystrokes uh, to be able to start navigating the interface. Yeah, it's interesting because that can be one of the hardest parts about uh, to do task managers. It can be a beautiful interface, but just those logistics, I want this yeah. on Monday at 7.25 p.m., whatever, that can be like the most time consuming to add. So it seems like they've really uh, mastered that. And 
I guess another way of making it easy, even easier is if you can connect it to third-party services. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so you can connect it to third-party services using tools like IFTTT and Zapier. To do as it does have a built-in integration with uh, other other online services. So, for example, I use a tool at work called Zendesk, and I can connect my Todoist and Zendesk together. So, if I have to be reminded about something, I can just uh, access the quick shortcut to be able to add that to my Todoist. So because Todoist is a web-based tool, it's really nice to have that flexibility of connecting it to your third-party applications and keeping everything in sync. Okay. Anything we should uh, share with us uh, on using iOS with it? Yeah, so the new iOS version came out about three weeks ago, has a complete redesigned navigation, and don't be scared. It's a redesign for the best. So at the bottom now, instead of hidden under a menu button, are tabs that you can just double tap on to switch the focus from inbox to today to search. And uh, you can also go into the settings and customize these tabs. If let's say you don't always want the search, but you want your work project to be down there at the bottom to quickly access. Lastly, with iOS, you can go in and configure what page are you brought to or what view mm. are you brought to when you open Todoist. Again, to take that barrier of entry away and uh, eliminate that friction so you're able to quickly get your task completed or added. What about our goals for 2024, those resolutions? How can we use it to make our new year a little less stressful. So I have a couple of tips and I'm gonna be fully transparent. Chat GPT and I had a conversation <laughs> this morning and it helped me with coming up with some of these. And I really liked uh, some of them that it came up with. Um, in order to help you with being less stressful, set clear goals. So you can have the best project management application in the world, but if you don't have goals for where you're going, then uh, that, Project management application might just be a waste of time. Uh, organizing your projects can be very useful, uh, especially mm -hmm. if you're navigating through your tasks and you want to be able to find the tasks that are necessary to complete the project you're ready to work on right now. Prioritize the uh, items that are in your uh, task management list because that'll help you with knowing what you need to get completed quickly. A couple more here, task durations, which is new to Todoist. So if you know, hey, this editing project is going to take me about two hours. So I only want to see projects that are two hours or less. And that's how much time I have right now. You can organize your projects to make that easier for you to accomplish tasks. Um, two more, regular review. If you don't get into reviewing your task management tool, it can become a cluttered mess of, oh, I threw that in there back in January. Now it's June. Why is this still around? <laughs> right. So go in and do something either weekly or monthly with those tasks. And the last one that I'll mention right now is going to be celebrate achievements. Don't be uh -huh. afraid to take a moment and say, hey, I got these done. And Todoist makes it really easy because they'll help you with their karma system. And that way you can set goals and say, hey, I want to get four tasks completed this week. And I want to set a streak of doing 35 tasks in a week, for example. Um, then you can celebrate those achievements, which is uh, something I think we often forget about. We do.
We do. We forget. Yeah. And it's something so important mental health wise uh, to, to cover that off and to help us feel good about re realizing, hey, man, uh, I notice um, <clears throat> not that anyone ever talks about Sono speakers or anything like that. Like, it's not like the, that big a deal. But Blind Shell Classic users can now use Sono speakers and they should. Anyway. Yes. Yes. So all you need to do is download the Sonos application from the app catalog, open the Sonos app, sign in to the with your Sonos account. And if you already have music services connected, then those music services will come over. You can start playing the music to your Sonos speakers and you can set up groups in there so you can navigate those groups directly within the uh blind shell application the sonos application on the blind shell i guess an important thing to mention and kelly might have a comment on this or two is you kind of got to buy the sonos speakers too and they're not cheap sometimes yeah. no no they're not they're not <laughs> but you want to talk about quality and longevity for the future if someone has that and you're sitting there kicking it around uh, i i think it's a good a good investment because of what their oh, yeah. plans always about 10 years out with that simple speaker so the goal is you having it that long Hey, I know we're getting close on time. I just want to mention real quick for uh, people listening and watching going into the holiday season, Script Talk is now available on the Blind Shell Classic 2. So if your pharmacy supports Script Talk and that's important to you and you're a Blind Shell user, take advantage of that uh, and have happy mm. holidays and safe holidays. Yeah, wow. it's it's so interesting because we've had people advocating for, you know, accessible labeling systems on for farm yeah. for drugs uh -huh. for years and it's like oh you know can, i can probably just remember which is which whatever but if you actually look at the instructions on your pills uh on your prescriptions uh they can be very complicated yes so yeah. this as this is excellent to have it is definitely well Happy holidays, and it's been fantastic chatting with you. Uh, I'm going to have to tr uh, try that to-do list for sure because I'm really good at adding stuff to my to-do list but not so good at checking it off. So hopefully celebrating my achievements uh, and having a little bit of a more structured uh, experience will help me out. Uh, happy holidays, man. Thanks for coming on. Looking forward to lots of tech talk in the new year. Sounds good. You guys have a great rest of your show, and thanks for having me. Thanks, Michael. And join us every Monday for Tech Talk with Michael Babcock. On the other side of the break, a baby owl was discovered in a family's Christmas tree. Now, I've heard horror stories, ladies and gentlemen, of all sorts of things <laughs> being found in them. Woo, how on earth did this owl get there? Producer Beth Deer, she'll tell us more in a moment. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. When you have time, check out the podcast, folks. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform to the Kelly and Rumya podcast. While you're in there, if you don't mind, give us a rating and review. You've got so much great AMI content that you can find that way. But we'd appreciate you starting with us, uh, listening into the segments or the complete show where we put on an audio vanity card at the end of that complete show podcast. And this week, lots of great content going to be put on there as so many of us Contribute in our last week before the end of the year, our, our broadcast year right here. Keeping in mind, we uh, we are not on the air next week. There'll be some nice reruns of the program. We'll tell you a little bit more when someone tells us. Anyway, Grant Hardy with me today on the program. <laughs> and we want to welcome in producer 
Beth Deer to join us as she fills in, covering off headlines for, um, uh, oh yeah, that's you, Hardy. She's filling in for. Hey, Beth. Hey, call me Grant. Okay. All right. Uh, Grant Deer is on there now with us. Well, so Grant does that Deere. make you Beth Hardy? <laughs> Beth Hardy and <laughs> Grant Deer here. <laughs> How are you today? We Welcome back. Up. I'm good. How are you guys? Well, ask him. He's the one filling in. I'm just usually here. I'm just yeah, still here. How are you feeling, Grant? Mustn't complain. Mustn't complain. It's Monday, but it's always get, uh, gives me so much adrenaline uh, in a good way uh, filling in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's Monday, but this time next week, it's Christmas Day. Yay. Woo. Woo. Uh, Beth, are you going to have people gather around to watch the primetime special that you guys are stars in? Uh, it's on the funny. 29th? I was listening. I was listening to you guys talk about that. And, um, I think that probably what I'm going to end up doing is it will just be my husband and I, but like you said, Kelly, great excuse to like get some food and just like sit down and chill. So I think that's probably going to be what we end up doing. I think. You know, yeah, what's the interesting thing in the case of yourselves that way is when you have people who can see, watch it, like we only know all the equipment that was there, that Apple Orchard who produced it for us, mm -hmm. uh, Fedora's off to those guys, everything they brought in to do it. Um, the show is certainly going to look a lot different than what you see day to day here on the program. Don't get that attached to it, folks. But it will be beautiful. And what what people get will get is a definite prime time feel. And Grant, I cut you off, didn't I? Oh, that's okay. No, I was just going to say, it, it, you're absolutely right, Kelly. That's that's going to be fantastic. Uh, no, I was just going to mention, uh, it's funny when you have uh, young kids, uh, you know, in your family, whatever, your, your partner's family, and they're watching, you know, you giving your all, they're watching your headline segment or whatever, and the little kid, you know, four-year-old or whatever will be like, this is boring, I don't understand this. <laughs> and part of you, you're like, okay, we need to go outside, talk about this. And you're like, oh yeah, I'm joking, I'm joking. And then you're That's like, funny. Oh, okay, I guess we'll let him off the hook, he's young. <laughs> That's so funny, because like, Henley has never seen like anything that I've, been in but there is one documentary that's on prime that cody put on once like i don't even know like a while ago but she's been able to talk for a while and she was like mommy <laughs> she was like questioning it's like um mommy i'm like yeah that is me we can turn that off <laughs> how, how, but can, I'm how, really, how can you be I'm on so the excited. tv and next to me at the same time it doesn't make sense i, I know like, like if you could so only confused. break open the tv you could meet all the characters inside the tv that's right yeah, how come exactly. i'm not in there with you by the way how come I'm, and then she gets older how come i'm not receiving the money you did for doing that mm -hmm. um <laughs> where do you want to start beth um, so I kind of actually want to start at the last article, um, just because it's a bit more serious and then it's a lot of like Christmassy vibes. Um, so there was a Brampton landlord, um, that has, his tenant has racked him up about $30,000 in unpaid rent and still won't leave. So this poor wow. landlord has been trying to get him to leave for seven months. He's gone to like the landlord tenant board. I think that's what it's called. Um, mm -hmm. And he has, you know, asked, um, he's filed like eviction notices and all that stuff. But for whatever reason, the board is doing nothing about it. And I am just kind of shocked purely just because 
we're at a stage right now where like everyone is like fighting for housing and like you would think that like if there is someone who is meant to be paying rent and isn't and could maybe be living somewhere cheaper that they could potentially actually afford i'm like why wouldn't the landlord association or whatever go in and actually kick this guy out so that this poor person who is just in my opinion the poor landlord that's trying to make a living off of a property that he's he owns and has worked hard for why like why is this tenant still there and why have they been there for the Mm. last seven months yeah it's funny i saw this and i have very mixed feelings like on the one hand yes absolutely because it's not fair that someone is for whatever reason, maybe struggling with mental health, maybe what whatever his situation is, mm-hmm. uh, is just getting something for free that everyone, uh, most other people have to pay for. On the other hand, I'm kind of a little guy supporter. Like I tend to support the little guys because I know that the housing situation is just so crappy. And I'm almost a little bit glad that for the maybe one or two people here or there that are milking the system that there still is a lot of protection like that it's not so easy to just throw someone out obviously uh, in this particular case someone is exploiting it but I also Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I dare I say I'm I'm a little bit glad that those protections are there what what are your thoughts guys I I have I do have something else to say on this grant because I like I see where you're coming from. I am also a little guy supporter. Like I, no, I get yeah, it. And I'm not saying but, yeah. but I also think that this landlord is a little guy. Like he has his family home that him and his family lives in, and then he owns this other property. Like there's a quote from the article and it says, it's upsetting, it's saddening, it's a lot of different emotions. I would like my property back. Yeah, that's like fair. that's absolutely I just fair. I just feel so I, I do actually just feel so sorry for this guy. Like, I mean, obviously there's two sides to every story, and sure, we don't know what kind of state the tenant's in, but I'm just like, this poor man is now having to pay, you know, the mortgage on his own house and a property that he was meant to be renting out and kind of getting his head above water on and he's now finding himself and his family in over $30,000 worth of debt. Like that's insane. Yeah. That's yep. not great. Yep. It, would, it would almost. Well, and I Go think ahead. where I'm struggling with these situations is because I, I agree with both of you on both counts um, to some degree, but I think we're, it's so complicated and it shouldn't be. Uh, we have, we need rent control. Mm-hmm. That's that, across the board in this country. Um, we need to watch these. Hey, we're renovating. Get out. You have nowhere to go. It's going to take us eight months. Go and find a new place. It's not easy to find places. Prices everywhere now are out of control, along with food out of control. Is it the landlord's fault? Is it my fault that we had a pandemic and things have gone up in price? Well, no, but I have to stop and wonder, is it really anyone? Is this really for real? That things should be going up as much as they are, or is it again a taking yeah. advantage of a situation and kind of like saying, "Well, it's going to cost that much." Canada pays the highest in cell phone rates. Why? Because Canada Canada pays the highest in cell phone rates. There's no real reason. We just do, and that's what's gone on throughout the world. And there's no reason for Canada to pay more than other countries that are truly struggling. 
but they're able to put up yeah. something. They're able to have something. And it's not like our service is, I got to say, yes, we're a big country and our service is likely to be a lot better than a lot of countries that I'm probably thinking of that are paying less. But we pay a mammoth amount more than anyone else. Would. Not just a little and that not just because so, well, we're going to have five. So yeah, and so this Honestly, is where I feel this rent thing has become so ridiculous. And you stop and say, politicians, you could almost wave a magic wand and cut some of this back, at least slow this progression down. And I'm not mm -hmm. trying to take away from people who need to do plumbing, who need to bring these buildings, who are trapped in buildings that they can't actually bring up to code because they're too old and they're not allowed just to knock them down for different reasons or, or it's not feasible. Uh, go ahead, Beth. I honestly, Kelly, that cell phone thing is like such a good point uh, because when I moved here, that was like, there were lots of things that were shocking to me, but the price of my phone bill was oh. without a doubt, number one. I remember when I lived in England, I paid, I think, £25 a month, which sure maybe amounts to like $40, $43 Canadian possibly. Um and I was getting like unlimited text, unlimited calls, unlimited data. All over the UK, right? A, yeah. And like I was getting like no a long phone distance. upgrade like every 18 oh. months. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah, prices pretty, of stuff is just insane. It's pretty outrageous thinking about Canada and trying to relate pricing to both uh living like standard of living and also risk and i do completely understand like coming back to your point in in this article uh that you brought up that like renting out a place does come with some risk for you and the tenant but it should not be that risky like no nobody should mm -hmm. be essentially powerless to not get into debt especially because you know in theory you could just sue this person for the money back but i'm sure they don't have the money so it would be an, an unwinnable mm -hmm. unattainable judgment and well, yeah the and landlord and yeah. tenant have been really backed up and this was what we've been hearing and that's been the excuse for not actually taking action because that's a lot of months a lot of money and no one should even want to allow a person to get that out of control because the reality is what what if and when they find in favor of the landlord who's who, who's helping this guy Hey, that 30 plus, 50 plus, whatever it is by then. Yeah, for sure. Well, that was kind of a Debbie Downer topic. Let's move <laughs> to something Christmassy quick. There was a baby yeah. owl that was discovered in a U.S.'s family home in a Christmas tree. <laughs> a man was working at someone's house when he discovered an owl hiding in the Christmas tree. Somehow, this owner of the house and Christmas tree had got this tree home. They went out, picked out their family tree like they do every single year, and they had decorated. She said that she had spent hours decorating her tree and <laughs> somehow not found this owl and didn't realize it was in there. Um, other people said, like, when... I guess the daughter of this lady posted a video saying, like, we found this owl in the Christmas tree. And I guess she was just flooded by people being like, hey, that's <laughs> happened to me. I had a squirrel in mine. I've had a possum in mine. I've had bats in my Christmas tree and wow. all this stuff. And the lady said she had three dogs 
and the Christmas tree is in their like main room that they use in the house. And yeah, no one realizes I was in there except from this Even man. Even the dogs like... didn't pay any attention. <laughs> like, I know, no my way. dogs would be going insane. Even Patronus the tree would be, be like, down. The tree, like, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> He's good at, he's, they're good at camouflaging the owl. That's great. They're oh, good predator. Man, they and everyone's sleeping, and the this. owl's there. Hoo, hoo, and everybody's else. Oh, what a wonderful place we live. You can hear the owls outside, just like they're inside here. Um, yeah, we I should buy a musical it, it, tree next year. Oh, exactly. Why don't we get one with a sound like that for the tree? Oh, man. I also know that there's been a lot, as I was saying, the bugs and stuff that have been in. But I have not mm -hmm. heard this size of something. An owl. Squirrels? In the tree, we'll talk squirrels later on in the show, too. Um, I mean, they're really in the Christmas spirit right now. So this was a great <laughs> item to bring forward, Beth. It, it's just tremendous. Yeah. Um, yeah it, Beth, thanks. for. Oh, go ahead, Grant. No, I was just going to say, it's we've heard all of this uh, a lot where, you know, a cat is found in a luggage, you know, a suitcase. Mm -hmm. Now an owl's found <laughs> in the tree. And what I really love is, like, how well adapted these animals are. And they're they're okay. They're always okay. Um, oh, I can't yeah, and this owl was completely fine. He was completely yeah. fine, and he's With been the released back out the tree. in the wild. <laughs> wow. Beth, awesome. Thank you kindly. Thank you for having me, uh, Grant. It was so fun filling in for you. Thanks, Beth. Uh, Grant will be back Wednesday with headlines as Beth filled in today for him on the program as he's co-hosting. Up next on the show, we speak with Mother Hen of the Wheelie Peeps. Bean Gill joins us to talk about her new show here on AMI-TV and beyond. Stick around. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-TV. On AMI-audio, enjoy the program at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. That's where it debuts, 2 p.m. Eastern Time for the AMI-TV folks when you catch us live. Repeats of the show, well, that's easy for you too, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And just to make it real easy so I don't get lost and I can find us, we're on both networks at 10 p.m. Eastern Time for uh, the first repeat of Kelly and Romeo. Today, joining me on the program, Mr. Grant Hardy. At 10 p.m. is a really great time in the West Coast, too, because that's I 7 p.m. That's prime time. So that's that would be my time. See, that's the uh, uh, everyday prime time special. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you guys are on everyday prime time here in the West Coast. So congratulations. Uh, hey, AMI is really excited to broadcast season one of Push on AMI-TV and then season two in March. And right now, joining us to talk more about the series is one of the stars of the show, Bean Gill. Hey, Bean, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. We're really excited about this conversation. And I wanted to start with uh, just getting you to tell us what Push is all about. Sure. So Push is a docuseries about my life and the lives of my wheelchair friends, who we call ourselves the Wheelie Peeps. Um, here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and it's basically just a show to show how we live our lives. We want to break down a lot of barriers and just show people that, hey, we're just regular people too. You know, that's one of the coolest things to do is look back at shows that we love and now we can go online and, hey, how did this show come to be or what is this show? And we get so much behind the scenes or background. 
Can we start with some of that on how this show came to be? Like you said, your friends, the group of you, and what what an honor, right? Like all of us could say, you know, we carry on, we do stuff. That's <laughs> if someone put us on TV. <laughs> it's happening for you guys. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. Honestly, I've been saying out loud for at least 10 years that I want a reality. I want my own TV show. You know, back then I said reality TV show because that's all I knew out there. Yeah. But I've been constantly saying it because so much weird stuff happens to me all the time, mm. all the time. And I'm always like, why isn't there a camera there to catch it? <laughs> right. And um, yeah, it actually happened. And the way it did happen is uh, through top 40 under 40, actually, I won in 2019. And my producer was reading the magazine. And she said that I popped off the page to her. And so she cold called me, she sent me an email saying, Hey, I would love to like work with you on something. And I mean, you don't say no to those kinds of opportunities. Mm -hmm. So I met with her and, you know, we had a bunch of meetings. We did not know what this was going to be, what it was going to look like started from a 20 minute documentary to now being nine episodes on CBC and AMI. It's, um, it's wild. The journey has wow. been absolutely incredible. Well, I would like to say that I seriously respect this because there are so many shows that are like meant to be inspiring. And then on the other hand, there are shows that are meant to be talked just only about issues in a more negative or, or challenging way. But what I've always wanted is a show that just showcases the normal lives of people with disabilities. So uh, this yeah. is this is fantastic that this is uh, on TV now because I think this is going to be make disability a little more accessible for us and uh, able-bodied folk as well. Mm. And down to for earth. Sure. Yeah. And it was like for us, some of the goals that we wanted out of this show was like, one, we want the able-bodied population to understand as much as they can and to know that we're, we're regular people and having a exactly. disability, it can happen to anybody at any time. And no one is immune from joining this pop, this cool club, right? Oh, yeah. uh, it's a pretty open club. It's a pretty open, welcoming <laughs> club. And it's the only club that doesn't discriminate. You know, you That's could right. be purple, you could be large, you could be small, you could be rich, you could be poor, it doesn't matter. Anybody can enter this club. And I think that's something that we wanted to really emphasize, as well as like for people with disabilities, right? We want people with disabilities to, one, resonate and see us representing them, even though we don't represent every single disability because that's nearly impossible. Mm -hmm. um, but we hope that, you know, people see that and that they're proud of it. And then the third thing is to have little kids with disabilities yeah. see what their lives right. can be, right? They can have successful businesses. They can have families. They can have jobs. They can do whatever they want. And I, we really want them to see that. Yeah, a lot of people, unfortunately, have viewpoint of disability being so frightening, inconveniencing, upsetting. Um, you have your days just like anybody else. But when people kind of like the, the pity in, in the, in the you know, in that sense of, oh, my God, and always coming back to glad that's not me. I'm glad this or that. It's more let's take the fear away. Sure, you may not be wanting to lose your vision or be in a wheelchair, you know, so you, you try to take care of yourself. You learn how to do the best you can, but you also if something happens to you, it can't feel life is over, that you should have would have been better off not making it. I have to ask, with that being said, yeah. how are you guys shooting it? 
How are you letting people into those windows where the people see what you're doing, the fun, the not fun, those truthful moments? How how is this being produced? Because one could say, well, do you stick cameras on people and just keep them? What, what's the what's the format? I mean, if we had an unlimited budget, yeah, we would have cameras just following yes. us around all the time. Unfortunately, that's not reality, right? We, there is a, a budget, so there's limitations involved with that. However, so what we did is be, because there's so many of us too, right? Like there's 10 of us, wheelie peeps, and we all live very dynamic lives. So what we would do is have a debrief with the production team, say this is what we're kind of have on our calendars already for the next few months. Um and then we kind of go based off that. And then they kind of like create a story based off of what we are doing. And of course, things change last minute, right? Because that's the life of disability. Sometimes you have an mm -hmm. emergency where you got to go into the hospital and UTIs and all the fun things that in, are involved. And that's what we want to show too, right? So um, we, they do as best they can with their budgeting of their filming days. And like I said, things pop up out of nowhere. And so then they just have to reallocate uh, where their crew is. Sometimes they have to pull a crew together really fast. Uh, for example, when Brian went, goes into the hospital, that was not planned, right? And so they had to pull a crew together really quick, get it there, and hopefully catch it before the ambulance gets there. Like there's no guarantees with any of this stuff, but everybody wow. works really hard to catch as much as we, they can. And then we also are, you know, asked to do a lot of self-taping. If the crew can't get there, set up your set up your cell phone, try to get as much footage as you can so that you can catch that authentic um, situation. Nice. Wow. That's it's hard. A lot. We've, we've, <laughs> we've had so many kind of a morbid comment, ambulance delays here in my province, BC, that I feel like a film crew might show up quicker. I don't know. <laughs> Three but... or four of them might show up and be there for a day or so waiting, right? Uh, it's amazing when you think about spinning on a dime like that but how did you guys get the buy-in from those i mean i know it has to be more than hey do you want to be on a tv show there's got to be a lot of buy-in to be so open oh for sure i mean for my friends and i right it was individual conversations of is this something you want to do is this something you are willing to open up your life for and i mean a lot of my friends are already living very public lives on social media so then to them it was just like Sure, it's fine. Sure. It's not a problem. And then when we all met, we basically said to the producers, we want to show everything or we want to show nothing. Mm -hmm. This is not going to be an inspiration porn series. This is not going to be a, oh, look at these poor people with disabilities. That's not mm -hmm. what we want. We want to show everything. And that means that mm -hmm. the highs and the lows we want to talk about incontinence. Mm -hmm. We want to talk about like bowel, bladder and sexual function, mm -hmm. uh, autonomic dysreflexia. Like my friend Tash, uh, mm -hmm. she's a quadriplegic and she's pregnant. She has a baby in season one. And these are things that many people think one shouldn't happen or two couldn't happen. And it's just so awesome for us to be like, this does happen and this is normal and it is common. We need to break down those stigmas and get them out of this ether because it's not reality. And those limiting beliefs are what keep people with disabilities hidden. And I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. I've said this so often uh, before, but for anybody who says that things quote unquote shouldn't happen, if you ever meet a child, uh, uh, you know, 
who's grown up into adulthood who had parents one or two parents with disabilities those those kids grow up to be the most genuine like selfless functioning positive contributors to society so not only would i say that it should happen i frankly think it's an advantage for at those children curious if there's any sort of i guess lessons i know we've already kind of touched on it but I guess any kind of message that you would want able-bodied people to take from the show along those lines? Just to release that fear, right? Release the fear of people with disabilities and what, like conversation I have a lot is, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to offend somebody. So I'm just not going to say anything at all, but that's not the answer either, right? So I feel like what we want to do is just break it down and just be like, we're regular people just like you. And if this was to happen to you, and, and you know, you said this before too, is like, oh my gosh, I don't think I could do this, or I don't know how I would handle this situation. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is none of us knew either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> none right. of us were and, like, yes, one day I, I will be disabled and I will change the world. No, we don't have those thoughts either. Yeah, and you have to go with what you're thinking. You have to put the honesty, the trueness to the show. They'll just put it yeah. on later at night. Um Tell us something, please. I'm kind of curious, uh, Mother Hen, if you would, uh, of, of the of the oh wheel peeps. How did that name? How did that name come to be? Oh my God! First of all, that's the worst name. I do not want to call them Mother Hen. Okay. I would say maybe the glue, and how it came to be is like, well, the wheelie peeps didn't really. They existed as, as individuals for sure. But my thing is like, I've always wanted a community of friends and I'm always, I've always been a very social extroverted person. And I just believe everybody should know everybody else. And so when I was first paralyzed and just saw how isolated I was and anytime I went to the bar, to a restaurant, to the movies, anywhere, I would never see anybody with a disability, never. And I'm like, how am I the only person in this city with the population of a million people? How am I the only one? And then when I went to California and I saw so many people with disabilities out and about living their lives, doing their thing, I was just like, all right, so there's got to be people in Edmonton. Statistically, wherever there's able-bodied people, there's people with disabilities. And so when I came back, I made it my mission to go find my homies. And that's what I did. That's how I met Brian (laughs) and Brittany and Ricardo and uh, Aleem and all, a lot of these people have come through with Ryu, which is my business. It's a neuro recovery center here in Edmonton. Um, but yeah, like, and a lot of people, they didn't even know each other, right? And Brittany and Brian, they a- actually even lived in the same apartment building at one point, but still didn't know each other. And that was like 20 years ago. And so to me, it's just wild that all of these people are like so close to each other, but not. And so, yeah, I kind of made this group of friends and, um, here we are. That's, I guess, why that's why I'm the mother hen. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. You've got that wing out over everyone, pulling everyone together. And it's a real special, I think, a special quality, period, whether the name <laughs> doesn't go down well or not. But I think that's that's quite an honor. And Fedora's off to you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I want to tell us about... No, go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. Uh, I was just going to ask, before we run out of time, about season one, and season two coming up are running pretty close together on AMI-TV. You want to quickly tease us? We've got about 30, 40 seconds. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, season one, we talk a lot about different relationships. 
Um, a lot of people have asked about Brian and Victoria, how they're going to make out. So season two, you'll find out how that um, relationship goes. Um, and just there's so much growth that each of us experience in season one that we elaborate on in season two that I think everybody is just going to really enjoy watching. And if you don't, yeah. please tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Relationships and community are the, are the two things I'm looking forward to most. Really looking forward to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time and you guys uh, do us, an awesome us, job. So keep it up. Us, Thank you. Good luck. Good luck. Being Gill of you. Push. You can catch season one airing on AMI TV in January. Season two coming up in March. Watch a lot of people having fun. Coming up in the next hour of our program on Know Your Rights, Danielle McLaughlin is joined by disability advocate David Leposky to discuss the most recent report on the uh, on the implication of the AODA. And how can we make the holidays more accessible? Leanne Barta stops by to give us some tips during our independent living segment. Up next, however, assistive technology entrepreneur Rebecca Rosenberg introduces us to her mobile app that benefits the low vision community in a sec. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. As we kick off hour two of the program, Grant Hardy's with me today. He's at the home studio in Vancouver. Kelly McDonald here at the home studio in London, Ontario, wherever you are checking the program out. Glad to have you on board with us as we work our way through the Monday edition. A reminder that we are not here next week. Uh, we will return in the new year, but we have a Christmas show to get to on Friday. We have a primetime special you can check out over between Christmas and New Year's on AMI-TV and AMI-audio on the 29th. But please be with us this Friday as we do our little Christmas extravaganza. Uh, the first time we're doing it on television. And we hope that you'll join us. This is something that we've traditionally done as a kitchen Christmas party um, or holiday party, whatever you're most comfortable to call it. We've always enjoyed it as our contributors and people who contribute to the show in any way, including the staff. Uh, have fun bringing you a bit of feel for the holiday season. So join us on Friday when we get into a little bit of that as our Christmas special. As mentioned, I'm here, Kelly McDonald with Brad Hardy. And we have a wonderful conversation coming up now on the program. Not that we haven't had a few today. It's been really wonderful. Rebecca Rosenberg is CEO of Revoca, an assistive technology startup that designs solutions for the low vision community. Rebecca joins us to chat about her work and her advocacy. Rebecca, thank you for being with us here on Kelly and Ramya. How are you today? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Love the energy. We're doing wonderful, especially kicking a Monday off this way. So I'm going to jump right in and ask you a little bit about yourself and your vision loss journey, if you don't mind us getting a little personal right away. Absolutely. Let's just jump right into it. Yeah, my name is Rebecca Rosenberg, and um, I really got started in the low vision world um, because I was born with albinism, um, which is a rare genetic condition that affects the body's ability to produce melanin or pigment. Um, and to to way oversimplify things, you need a certain amount of melanin in order to develop and maintain proper vision. And so I actually didn't lose my vision um, like many people do. I have actually, I was born with a vision impairment. And as a matter of fact, it has actually gotten the tiniest bit better um, as I've gotten older, just because as you age, your eyes change shape a little bit. And in my case, that change of shape actually made things just, just the tiniest bit better um, for me. But 
um, yeah, I've, I've kind of lived with this my entire life, uh, which was an incredibly interesting experience uh, growing up as, as a student and kind of, mm-hmm. you know, coming to terms with mm. a vision impairment that nobody around me understood. Um, for the yes. very longest time, I was the only person I knew with a vision impairment. So maybe we could touch a little bit uh, because I believe that what sort of got you into developing assistive technology was just your experience with AT for people with vision loss and some of those gaps that you maybe found. Is that correct? And can you can you tell us a little bit about uh, your experience with assistive technology? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're exactly right. Um, as a student, you know, I I have a lot of good usable vision, despite the fact that the vision impairment that I have is not correctable by any means currently available to us as humans. Um, and so what I found growing up was that all of the assistive technology had been designed to totally replace vision with um, either audio or, or tactile and I, I was a visual learner and I really wanted to make use of all of the good functional vision that I did have. And I was really frustrated for most of my life that there was nothing available to really help enhance the existing vision that I had instead of just kind of defaulting away from it. And so that was really the the inspiration um, behind starting Reboca to, to develop this technology that helps enhance your vision um, instead of totally overpowering it. And so... Yeah. That kind of led us to this tool that lets you augment the way the world looks uh, to your specific needs in any situation. Wow. It's interesting you say it this way because it's so true. I remember when I was told as a kid, my parents were told, hey, his reading's going to be so slow. This will hold him back. Let's take him away from that. Let's teach him Braille, which, of course, as years go by, you realize, yeah, but but wherever I work, they're not going to know Braille and and unless it's for an organization that handles low vision or blind community. And for me, that that was an option. But in other people, no, why would you take me away from that? I, I need some support. And I think we do find, yeah, let's let's move away. So really appreciate you bringing it to the forefront that way and saying it that way because it's so so vital to think about that way. And we learn in different ways. So uh, some people are fine listening. Some people Absolutely. are fine reading it. Some people need to see it. Tell us a little bit more about the company, first of all, before we get into the tool. Yeah. So um, I started Reboca when I was 21 out of my dorm room. Uh, I was studying biomedical engineering and had really been, I mean, at that point, probably sitting with this problem of there not being appropriate technology for like a decade at that point. Wow. And um, really had had an opportunity to, to do something about it. I had gotten a grant from my undergrad university to spend a summer sort of doing an entrepreneurial project. Um, and so decided to kind of jump in and explore um, in more detail and, and in more depth the assistive technology landscape and discovered that even as I was 21, nothing had really changed. Everything was still really um really focused on on defaulting away from vision. And so I had the opportunity to spend that summer um, with a little bit of grant money, a very, very little bit of grant money uh, to to explore <laughs> what that looked like, what it meant for people, and um, how we might be able to move towards solving it. And as the story goes, you know, by the end of the summer, I had like literally less than a back of the napkin idea of like what I wanted this to be. And my school was was excited about the work that I had been doing. And they were like, 
we're going to um, send you to to do a couple of uh, radio and TV interviews. And so I did one nice. radio and one TV interview, like hyper local in um, in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania, like middle of nowhere. And um, even still, people reach out to me. They were like, when is this going to be available? Where is this going to be available? How can I get it? How can I help you? And I think it was at that point that I kind of realized, oh, um, this really means something to more people than just me. Like, I, I, I'm really on to something here. Um, I should probably keep doing this. And so um, all through the rest of my, my senior year at that point of college, and then all through, um, I got my master's degree also in biomedical engineering from Johns Hopkins, and all through that time kind of continued to work on the company on the side, all the way up until about June of 2022, so about a year and a half ago, when I was lucky enough to be able to actually start doing this full time, which has been, I mean, incredible. And we've just been able to make so much more progress um, with my ability to dedicate full time to this. Nice. No, I think you're, you're absolutely right that anything like this really means something to the community, especially in a way that that's uh, less antagonistic than most of the like, like, don't use your vision, you have to do things this way. Like, no, you should use whatever tools work the best for you to your to your capacity. So Along those lines, maybe if you could tell us about the successful app. I know you, you touched on it earlier, but tell us a little more about it, how it works, and how it's uh, benefited the accessibility community. Absolutely. Um, so the Roboka app um, was initially developed in early 2021. Um, and it was kind of like the first version, basic version. I think we saw a video uh, just a couple minutes ago of it actually working. And basically what it does is it uses a live camera feed from your device um, and lets you add uh, specific uh, video filters on top of that live camera feed so that you can personalize the way the world looks to you in any situation. So for example, some of those video filters are increasing contrast, increasing how bright something is, um, adding different color filters over top of things. I know when I was a student, sometimes I was given these like plastic transparencies that were just different colors and it, it, they wanted me to like lay them down on um, something I was trying to read. And it would just help kind of minimize glare, minimize visual strain. And so we basically recreated that digitally. Um, also, there's the ability to use different types of inversion filters. Um, so, you know, some people like to read white text on a black background. And so even if you're given a piece of paper that is white with black text, you can use those inversion filters to make that adjustment and, and flip those colors, um, as well as we've built in kind of additional color combinations that we know people with vision impairments uh, like. And um, it's really been... Um, and, you know, I've just been blown away by the support that we've received for the technology. It's currently in use in about, I think, last time I checked, 105 countries across the world. Wow. Um, wow. I have received feedback um, from from people in, in Japan, in, in Canada, in the UK, in um, Vietnam, like just an incredible number of, um, of, of users all over the world. And... Um, the, the vast majority of feedback we receive is just how big of a difference this has made in their lives because it is affordable, um, it is discreet, it's portable, and it's making use of this like really fantastic camera system that everybody is already carrying around with them in their normal everyday life. Um, and, you know, it's really 
we've seen it make an incredible difference for people and we're we're so proud of that we're so thankful that that's something we've been able to do for the community on a whole um and we're excited to be kind of continuing to, to build new things based off of some of the feedback we've received I think it's amazing when you talk about not knowing everyone's so individual, everyone's needs are so different, so varied, but yet some yet the same and being able to continually work on this, improve and just put things in and still find that feedback from someone who says, wow, this works for me in this application. You got to be able to sit back and say, oh my gosh, we got it there. And that's so many of that, but just kind of, if you excuse the term, blindly going through with some concepts of what would help people and hoping it does. Can we, before we run out of time, talk a little bit quickly about your other advocacy out there in the community? Absolutely. Um, so, you know, one of the biggest things to your point uh, that we did was actually beta test the Revoke app for about a year with individuals with vision impairments, with teachers with the visually impaired, with optometrists, with ophthalmologists, just because we really wanted to know in those early days, are we building something that's actually valuable? And I think that that lends itself to the idea um, that I really have, have tried to be an advocate of, of building with people with disabilities, not just for them. Um, and so, you know, I could come in and say, I have a disability myself, you know, I know what this community needs, I, I know how to do it. And, you know, it, it was helpful that from the very earliest, very deepest stages, that's what I was doing. Um, but I recognized very quickly that, I needed more than that, that we needed other people to be involved um, as well. And so that was something that we've continued to dedicate ourselves to is making sure that there's a very open line of communication between our team and our user base and, and making sure people feel empowered to reach out to us, um, that we respond um, and that we really are taking these suggestions um, and things into consideration and, and fixing bugs. And I think that's been, you know, one of the main platforms that I have stood for as an entrepreneur and as, as an advocate is really making sure as you're building for the disability community, you're talking to people with the disability you're trying mm -hmm. to serve. Um, and I think, you know, beyond that, also really taking that as an opportunity to deeply understand their experience. You know, one of the things that I have seen so much of um, throughout my time is just the misunderstanding between low vision and blindness and the lack of the lack of yeah public awareness of the difference that having some good residual vision and wanting to be able to use that, um, what that means and how that lends itself to an entirely different lived experience than somebody who is um, blind or, or very near blind or how, who has significantly less vision and how those populations are both important but will oftentimes require different accommodations. Exactly, exactly. Um, it's really tremendous. It really is. Rebecca, thank you so much for visiting with us on the program today and being so straightforward with us. Good luck with everything and the best of the season. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Happy holidays. That was assistive technology entrepreneur Rebecca Rosenberg talking to us about her mobile app that benefits the low vision community. Up next, folks, how can you make the holidays more accessible? Well, Leanne Barda, she'll stop by and give us some tips in a moment. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Amazing conversations ahead, a lot of information for you. Kelly McDonald here at the home studio, London, Ontario. Grant Hardy at his home studio in Vancouver. 
Hey, Kelly. Hello, everyone. It's time to bring on an interview that you and Ramia did with Leanne Barda for Independent Living Talk. Hi, my name is Leanne Barda, and I'm here to teach you all about independent living skills. Please join me on Kelly and Ramia. Leanne, once a month, we love checking in with you. And around the holidays, we love checking in with you right before we get into all the festivities because we want to know how to make the holidays more accessible and inclusive and still keep everything fun, as we say. Exactly. So um, it's a good time to find recipes, you know, look for fun holiday crafts, no matter what you celebrate. Um, there's a lot of things that can be done to make uh, this season accessible and fun. So let's uh, let's get into it. Yeah, should we start with the tree trimming? Because that's this top of is, mind. This one's always problematic. <laughs> you never yeah. know where to start. Yeah. And depending if you have a real tree or an artificial tree. Um, and now, you know, you can get cut trees in all different colors. Um, this year, we actually got one where all the wires were incorporated in the trunk of the tree. So my cat wouldn't yeah. get stuck in it again. Nice. Yeah. So um, again, so... The, the age-old question, artificial or real? So that's really depending on you and what your preferences are. Um, I've only ever had a real tree a couple times, and I just remember finding needles in, in my house till July. So <laughs> you know, it just depends on, uh, on personal preference. And if you want, like, the scent of nature in, in your home or if you're okay with, you know, putting it in a box and taking it out every year and uh, uh -huh. just sort of dealing with it that way. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Convenience. Mm. Yeah. For me, you know, depending on if you, if you have pets, you know, you don't want to put out things that are potentially going to hurt your pets. So you kind of really have to choose um, what will be the safest option. So if they're going to knock it over, if they're going to get in, climb it, like we found uh, Louis the other day, halfway up the tree, um, you know. All kinds of fun, interesting uh, options. Yeah, some pets are intimidated. Others are like, this is fun. Um, how about the actual types of trees you can get with artificial? It's pretty all over the place now. Oh, my gosh. There's so many choices. So if you want to do like a goth nightmare before Christmas tree, you can get a black one. <laughs> yeah. um, if you want, uh, you know, winter wonderland, you can get a white one. There's like uh, pink and sparkly ones. There's, uh, is that the ones Barbie where... Yep, I think so. And then I have one with a remote, so I can change the lights on it from uh, from plain white to colored, and then it, it sort of cycles between the lights. So, you know, all kinds of really neat options. Nice. I bet you can get it where it's even doing the music and everything. See, I like that. I like the artificial. That's what I grew up with. My family was a little too nervous about fires and the, the upkeep to do it right. But at the blind school, man, did we mm -hmm. have real trees everywhere and have that opportunity to go and pick them out. Let's talk a little bit more about uh, with the lights. We go what from the bottom should we do? What's the order of tinsel and right. garland and all that that you mm. recommend? Right. So uh, some people like to start from the top down, but um, I find that could be a little bit difficult. So from the bottom up and then making sure that all your connections are in place and that, uh, you have your um, an extension cord just in case, so you want to make sure that all of your lights work. So if you have someone that can help you sort of sort that out. Um, now you also have the LED ones that are you can get with little battery attachments. Uh, so it's really 
or the ones, of course, like we talked about, having it already built into the tree, which is a nice feature. So yeah. you don't have to worry about this yeah. part at, at all. <laughs> Those are nice, but then yeah. uh, I'm now in a predicament where out? a chunk of my tree is not lit because uh, that oh, portion. No. So we got to like replace yeah. or first of all, diagnose what the hell happened here. And well, then and put it in store yeah. too. You really got to be careful, yeah. I'd imagine, right? Like, like I mean, oh, yeah. um, especially that way. And like Rum says, if once one's gone, yeah. I know I we're a disposable say, society. But... I will do it all over again. I will get another pre-lit tree not to deal with the goddamn balls of light that you had to untangle yes. at the beginning and end of this. Oh, no, thank no. you. No, well, thankfully, no. You know, if, if you are going to keep your lights on a, um, in some sort of receptacle, now they have ones where you can wind it around. It looks kind of like a, an oval shape and it oh, has a yeah. place for the lights to go so it stays um, in place so you don't have to worry about uh, them being in a giant tangled mess of a don't ball. believe it when mm -hmm. i feel it Liam. that's the, that's that's what i think about <laughs> the real lights man and always testing spreading them out let's see how many don't work yeah, oh, yeah i want that remote control not that i can see the colors <laughs> no but then you have your bucket of light, of light bulbs you know randomly in different places yeah Okay, yeah. so then we're talking about, again, the, you said uh, lights, we got the order of things that go on, ornaments mm -hmm. last, of course. How about plants yeah. and such? Yes, so if you have uh, cats in particular, uh, poinsettias and lilies can be extremely toxic for your pets, so you want to keep them up high and um, put them away at night, so lock them in a bathroom or in the kitchen at night so that your pets can't get to it because the last thing you want is a really expensive vet mm -hmm. bill right during the holidays. Mm. So... I would just sort of err on the cautious side and just not have them in the house at all just yep. to be safe. Yep. Okay, let's move awesome. on to crafts because we got to cover so much yep. in this 15 minutes we with you. We do. We do. Okay, so uh, making my own crafts has been like some of the fun, most fun memories I have with my kids. And so one of the things we most recently did was we used this um, uh, clay called uh, Fimo and it's like a colored clay that you oven bake. And we made uh, different kinds of ornaments and I like to sort of have, um, sort of looks like a timeline of ornaments. So I, we try to make one every year and yeah. see how the kids' skills have evolved and, you know, how, you know, the creativity that's, you know, keeps continuing to grow. So that one is a really nice one. It's very tactile and you can use cookie cutters to make them. And um, I usually poke a hole through so the string can go through after they're finished baking and you don't have to paint them. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So good. Yeah. And so much they can do with that, with the tree, with everything in those ornaments. Uh, what about gifts and things like that? Uh, what What is that yeah. one way that make people feel pretty good about what you're giving them? Right. So you want to make it look really nice. So um, I've done a lot of things with my with my Perkins Brailler. So I've made really nice cards and you can make uh, little gift tags. Um, the, really, the cool thing about the Brailler art is, you know, just learning, just putting in like the combination of the contractions and the letters and the uh, the punctuation, you can make dreidels, you can make Santa, you can make elves, candles, like all kinds of things. So if you are creative, you can kind of come up with your own patterns and make really nice um, handmade cards. Um, the other thing too you can do is with that brown craft paper, you can get uh, stamps and, and paint and you can sort of uh, customize your, your wrapping paper and mm. one of the, the other things that um, my in-laws like to do is make those um, cotton dishcloths because those can be useful all year right. round. Right. Yeah, yeah. I love this wrapping paper one. And mm. so much you can do uh, with your own artistry. Um, wh what else can you do with your brailler that you'd like to suggest? 
cards. So you can also do really cool bookmarks and you can put like a, you can use like a, an ink stamp of, let's say, I don't know, a bird or, or a tree or something. And then you can make, um, yeah. you know, a nice saying in Braille on the, on the bookmark itself and then put a nice little ribbon, um, you know, just little things that personalize the touches on your gift. And mm. it makes people look like you put a lot of effort into it and they, people appreciate that. Yeah. Speaking of effort, we can also cook and bake for people. Absolutely. So cookie trays, I know cookie exchanges are a big uh, popular thing right? as, as always. Yep. And so you can put a variety of, of cookies and squares, um, homemade jams is another one. So if you have, you know, around your neighborhood, so I have a giant mulberry tree in the back. So we make a lot of things with that. With that. Um, again, same thing. You could do braille labels, large print labels. You could add stickers. We can even go crazy now, even throw a navy lens on there. Yeah. And the thing um, is, you don't necessarily have to bake, right? You can also just make no. arrangements mm-hmm. of goods for people. Exactly. And there's so many commercially available things. Like, just go to St. Lawrence Market. It's an incredible cornucopia of, like, jams and mustards and, like, you name it. Like, yeah. baked goods. So you have unlimited choices nowadays. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot you- more of these, like, hot chocolate mixes in a mug, yes. which is super, yes. super cute. Well, and, and little, you can yeah. get a lot of these things in little, so for all the little parties and stuff where you used to say, go to a dollar store, get some, but you can find yeah. all these same things, yeah. but smaller versions, whether it's chocolate, cherries, or whatever. What about yeah. things that you can do to make simple ornaments? Like, use those walnuts right. that my mom used to love cracking at Christmas. Yep. So that's another really cute one we did a few years ago. So you take half of a walnut shell, you can paint it. Um, I made mine look like a turtle. Um, and wow. then with you cut out felt little legs, you can hot glue them on there. Um, we've made a rabbit as well. So we got like little rabbit uh, ears on it and you can paint a face onto it. You could use uh, mini googly eyes, uh, uh, felt tip markers to do your, your things, glitter, which is everybody's fun... <laughs> it's fun during and after and after and it's kind of like the pine needles you keep finding them till july (laughs) oh i think glitter lasts indefinitely which is why i'm so glad we don't have any in the house it's immortal okay yeah um yeah you can also do like menorahs and and dreidels poodles and so on yeah Mm -hmm. exactly yep so for like a homemade dreidel you can get um a kitchen tile like a long rectangular one and then you take little uh, thicker washers and then you hot glue them down and then your candles can go in there. You can decorate it with stickers and um, all kinds of neat, really um, things that aren't flammable. <laughs> Lovely. <Yeah. laughs> um, yeah. One of the things I thought was neat is you can use our help from like, you know, be my eyes or whatever to look for the lights yeah. to make sure you're not crump- putting ornaments on your tree too close together. Those kinds of help, but you can use that stuff when it comes to your baking. Once you get organized in the kitchen for your holiday baking and getting that meal together. Exactly. So this is a good time to make sure you all your baked uh, goods ingredients are are good to go. Um, if you're having trouble finding them, this is where um, you know, be my eyes or seeing AI will help because you can read the labels for you. And you can also create your own tactile or uh, braille, large print or audio labels for yourself. So you can always find out where your stuff is. Mm. And then of of course, you know, as you're putting things away, they always go back in the same place. And then, you know, you can keep like things together just so it's quicker to, to, to grab it and then put it back. 
Leanne, we spend a lot of time in the kitchen, and if we're not, well, somebody is, um, around the holidays, and the kind of gadgets that are really helpful to just keep track and um, make sure that your stuff is being done efficiently, like the talking timers, the talking thermometers, uh, and just having yeah. extra things on hand at any given moment is a good idea, yeah? Oh, absolutely. This is, you know, as we talk about in all of our segments, um, the use of a cafeteria style tray to keep yourself organized and to reduce spills. Um, any way you can make your kitchen, you know, keep it clean for as long as possible while you're doing all these tasks, the better. And so if you're able to keep on top of it and keep organized, so, you know, you can use your Alexa to make shopping lists. So as you run out of things, you can just say, yes. hey, Alexa, add turkey to my shopping list or and then, you know, you have an accessible shopping list when you go out so you don't forget um, all the things you need. And when you get back, you're ready to go. And when yeah. you're How going about shopping out, online, exactly. right? Yeah. Avoid out. <laughs> yep, exactly. I, I think from this point on, I avoid them all like the plague. So <laughs> as, uh, as much as we can be prepared, you know, there's a lot of canned goods that can be bought in advance. Uh, you can get a lot of it uh, delivered, you know, through all the different delivery services, which is really helpful. Um, I heard even there's one that will get uh, people to buy things at Costco for you. This, so there's nice. Yeah unlimited amounts of options. Yes, exactly. Leanne, we're going to have to wrap it there. Um, you do have some fantastic recipes and ideas for crafts that are sensory friendly, like they not only are interactive and fun to make, but they'll smell good while you're uh, hanging out during the holidays. But we'll probably throw to those during our Christmas special show right before the break. But thank you so much. And we'll yeah. catch with you or catch up with you in the new year. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. You too. Leanne Barda joins us for the Independent Living Chat on the third Monday of every month. We step aside for a couple of moments and we'll return with Know Your Rights. Today, David Leposky rejoins Danielle McLaughlin, and we're going to be talking about the most recent report on the... Impl imp imp How can I can't say it today, folks? Wow. This is like its own blooper reel of its own, right? Uh, we're going to be talking about the AO and some of the answers we've been looking for as those have been released. We'll stay tuned. We'll get into it after this. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. We're talking about our own band list here on the program. You know, Ramya with her mind-boggling, we don't, she just won't say it. Me, words that I've been trying to say today on the show that just can't come out right, and it's the same word all the time, or a derivative of the same word. So uh, you'd think the host would, would learn a lesson, Grant, and just, I'll just take this out of the script and use another word. Uh, Grant Hardy, Kelly McDonald, host of the program today. And folks, really wonderful. We have some really what I consider fast-breaking news, some things that we need to address that we talked about on the show. So without further ado, let's bring on the talk Know Your Rights, Danielle McLaughlin. Did you know that everyone has rights? No matter who we are, we all qualify. But what happens when freedoms collide? The answers are rarely simple, but always interesting. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, to talk about civil liberties and human rights on Know Your Rights. Hello, it's lovely to be here today. And I'm very excited, as Kelly says, we have some fast-breaking news, because today we have a return visit 
from our friend and outspoken disability rights advocate, David Lepofsky. Welcome back to Kelly and Ramya, David. Why don't you introduce me as the shy and retiring David <laughs> Lepofsky, just for a little variety. <laughs> that would be a different David Lepofsky, I'm afraid. <laughs> Not our favorite. What can I tell you? <laughs> well, last time we talked to you, you were telling us about your organization's attempts to have the Ontario government release the most recent report on the implementation of the uh Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, and I think you have some news for us today. Well, we do, which is that the uh, Ford government here in Ontario finally, last Thursday, uh, made it public. Uh, they received it six months earlier. They were legally obliged to make it public, but they dragged their feet uh, for months and months um, I filed a Freedom of Information request for it. The CBC filed a Freedom of Information request for it. They refused to disclose it, saying that that to disclose it would reveal cabinet secret cabinet discussions. It doesn't. I've read it. It doesn't say a thing about cabinet discussions. So finally, last Thursday, they made it public. But they made it as public as quietly as they could. There's no news release. There's no public announcement. No one in the government even wrote us to say it's out. The way I found out about it is I got an email from a staffer at the New Democratic Party. We're nonpartisan, so we work with any party. And I got to say on Friday saying, by the way, have you seen this? And I said, no. And it was the NDP who gave it to us. So, well, so David, far, I suspect I we, about... we've done more to make it public than the government has. Yes. And, and you know, when, when, I've, when I learned about this, I thought, that's really disrespectful, considering what you had gone through, having your freedom of information request turned down, um, you know, and clearly you are a, a, an interested party. And then, oh, by the way, uh, we've quietly made this public, which is, you know, we've buried it like we, we've always wanted to do. Um, can, just just as a brief aside, can you explain what a freedom of information request is and how it's supposed to work? Well, for oh, decades, it's been the law in Ontario and in, I suspect, all other provinces and federally, mm -hmm. uh, that the government has to be open and accessible to the the public who pay for them, vote for them, uh, and who they're accountable to. And this is, one of the ways they do this is by having a law called the Freedom of Information Individual Privacy uh, Act. And it requires the government to make certain kinds of documents public on request. And this is one of them. And we know it has to be public because the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act says that when the government receives it or after they receive it, they have a duty to place it before the legislature. That makes it public. This is really a principle of democracy, isn't it? That, that we have, you know, we have to know what our governments are doing. And uh, I, you know, I personally really appreciate the fact that you just didn't let it go. But now well, that you've... Yes, go ahead, please. Uh, I just want to explain to, your, to our, 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 our listeners what the report is. So in from 94 to 2005, a whole bunch of us fought really hard to get the legislature of Ontario to pass 
Canada's first comprehensive accessibility law, the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, or AODA, it requires the province to lead this province to become accessible by 2025. It includes a bunch of powers and duties, but we didn't want to just have that passed and, and worry that the government may just go to sleep and not pay attention. So there are checks and balances built in. One of them is that every three or four years, there's a timetable, the government has to appoint an independent person to take our temperature. Tell us, how are we doing? How are we, are we making enough progress on accessibility? Are we on schedule? And if not, what more do we have to do? So the report we're talking about is the fourth of these reviews. It was done by a gentleman that the government selected, uh, Rich Donovan. Uh, he submitted his final report last June 6th. The legislature says, the legislation says it has to be made public. And we were trying to get it made public. Which seems an obvious thing to do. Um, but now that you have had a chance to, to read this report, can you give us an idea of your impressions of Rich Donovan's findings? Okay, so it's a mixed bag. There are parts of it that are fantastic and we totally endorse, and there are parts of it that respectfully we don't agree with. But the parts we don't agree with don't undermine the parts we do agree with. And the parts we do agree with are ample uh, to help us make progress. So first, he determines uh, that we are way behind in making this province accessible, that, that progress under the Disabilities Act is far too slow, and that the government's failed in its implementation of this law. The current government and previous governments. Uh, he concluded that there's virtually, you know, there's little enforcement, um, and that uh, as a result, he concludes, and this is really important, that there is a crisis uh, in the area of accessibility, and that it actually threatens the health and safety of people with disabilities. And he gives examples of why. So we agree with that. And he then says, we need some crisis measures now. And one of them, probably the most important, is he said the Premier of Ontario needs to convene um, a, uh, a crisis committee that he, the Premier, would chair. And he wanted this to happen fast, uh, to oversee immediate urgent progress. Now, of course, he talked about a committee to work over six months. Over the past six months, the government squandered that period by simply not even releasing the report, keeping secret this crisis declaration. Um, and he made a number of other recommendations that are good, but I just want to sum up, because I don't want to talk too long, by saying there are some in there that we, we really don't agree with. And it doesn't matter because, I mean, it matters because we don't want the government to do follow the recommendations that we disagree with. But the fact that we don't agree with them doesn't undermine the force of the important parts of the report that we do agree with. That's very important. Now, you've mentioned that there have been, what, four previous reports. How does this one compare with the others? It doesn't have a different sense of urgency, or have they all said we're at a crisis level? No, the 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 first report was 2010. It was right after, you know, five years after the law was passed. It said we need to revitalize implementation. The second report was in 2015. That was 10 years after the law was passed. 
It ramped up the language and said, we need to revitalize implementation. Neither happened. 2019, the third report was released. It was written by our former Lieutenant Governor, the late David Onley. Mm-hmm. And he spoke in stronger terms than ever before, but his terms are dwarfed by the uh, the terms that that Rich Donovan used to describe the problem and the the severity of the problem. Which recommendations that were made by Mr. Donovan do you think are most likely to actually be adopted by this government? I can't answer that. Uh, only because this government has been so non-responsive. I mean, the premier has declined every request we've made to meet. He refers us back to the accessibility minister, Raymond Cho, who doesn't even respond to us when we ask to meet. Uh, We haven't met him in, I mean, met him early in his mandate, but it's been at least a couple of years, probably longer. His office doesn't even answer us. So uh, the, the key decision makers don't even talk to us. And when he gets independent advice from, and and, and this is important, when he gets independent advice, the premier does, from the the person they handpicked to do this review, uh, who says it's a crisis, you got to act now. And the solution is deep six the report for six months and, and, and conceal from the public the fact that there is this crisis. Um doesn't give you a lot of optimism, but that doesn't deter us. We're going to keep advocating. I, I have very little doubt that you that you will continue to do that, David. You know, one of one of the recommendations that I found surprising, and I don't know whether you will find it equally surprising, was the uh, notion that the assistant deputy ministers should have their pay um I don't want to say docked, but uh, altered if they don't actually make the uh, the commitment and to make a difference and, and show that they've done it. Um, have you ever seen anything like that before? Well, it's it's the deputy ministers in the Ontario government. And um, I think, I don't want to speak for them, but the Rich Donovan, who's got a background in business consulting, is mm-hmm. drawing on the model for private business where... Yeah senior executives' performance, their pay is tied to performance. And he's saying, why don't we do this in the public service too? And I think that there is some sense to that. I think it's, that's one of the recommendations we think is a good idea. Wow. Well, I, I, I found it surprising myself because I, I, I couldn't, just off the top of my head, recall any other place where uh, government employees' performance would actually uh, affect their pay their pay level. But as you say, it, it, it's, it might be worth a try because since things are at a crisis level, um, and I, I don't think that's, I mean, even though Donovan may have been the first to say that, um, did it surprise you to see that uh, in, in, in writing, that to, to hear that, that, um, that things have reached a crisis level? Well, no, no, it didn't. No. I, you know, I mean, he, his interim report he released last spring was pretty hard hitting. So this is just a logical um, corollary of that. Uh, if I could take a minute, I want to just focus on one of his recommendations that we respectfully don't agree with. Um, yes, thank you. He he said that when it comes to the private sector in Ontario, uh, the government's done a poor job of enforcing. That's we agree. Uh, but his solution 
is that the Ontario government should try somehow to transfer its jurisdiction over regulating accessibility in the private sector to the federal government and that the Canada Revenue Agency should be the enforcement body. Now, we got a whole lot of reasons we think this is a non-starter. The first is uh, it's not constitutional. The province can't just unilaterally hand jurisdiction over to the federal government, even if they like it. It would require a constitutional amendment. We haven't had a constitutional amendment since Pierre Trudeau patriated the Constitution in like 1982, as far as I remember. Yes. <laughs> it, 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 don't hold your it's breath. Been a while. Yeah. The second thing is, I don't think the feds would want to take it on. They got enough to do, and we don't want them taking it on. The third problem is, we have enough trouble right now trying to get uh, the province, for example, to pass an education accessibility standard that they've agreed we need uh, to tear down the barriers in our schools facing students with disabilities. Right now, to get that action, we've got to persuade politicians, you know, in, in Ontario. If, if he got, if, if Mr. Donald, uh, Donovan's recommendations were adopted, when it comes from the private sector regula regulation, we'd have to be persuading a majority of politicians from across Canada. Now, why should we have to go lobby, I don't know, MPs in Victoria or Moose Jaw or Calgary, who I don't, or, or, or St. John's, who I don't think they're too worried about what voters think in Ontario. Like, this well, would just make... They it would just make clearly much they harder. have their own problems with accessibility in every other area i mean i i don't think that there's a single province that's that you know is a shining example of what accessibility ought to be like is there and the canada revenue agency which is already overloaded and i'm sure not looking for any more work has no demonstrated expertise in accessibility for people with disabilities and in any event the federal government's track record under its own accessibility law, the Accessible Canada Act, is not too exciting. That law was passed in 2019. They have not enacted a single mandatory, pardon me, accessibility standard under that act. Yeah, well, unfortunately, so like, don't David, hold we breath. have run out of time. Uh, I know that there's so much more to be said about this, but I really appreciate your joining us today to talk about what turns out to be a breaking news story. Thank you so much today. David. If people want to learn more, go to www.aodaalliance.org. Our analysis is right on our What's New page. Super. Thank you again. Take care. You too. And have a good holiday break. That was our special guest, disability rights advocate, David Lepofsky speaking with us today about the newly released independent review of the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, the report from Rich Donovan. And a happy holiday to everybody. I don't think I will be uh, seeing or hearing people live until the new year. Happy holidays and happy new year to one and all. Danielle, of course, best to you guys, safety and all to, to you, and fantastic work on behalf of uh, all of our team with what you did and David did and making time to bring this to us and breaking it down. Absolutely tremendous, folks. And as David said, you know where to go. Get more info. We have more information for you, ladies and gentlemen, on our program. Talk about tomorrow. See what the gang over at Now at Dave Brown is doing and our closing moment right after this.
We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Thanks for being with us, ladies and gentlemen. Check out the podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. You can listen to the show in segment form or the complete show. And you can check out the audio vanity card on it. Today, Jeff Ryman providing us that. You can find that at the end of the uh, full show podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. If you don't mind, give us a rating and review. Kelly McDonald here. And joining me, Mr. Grant Hardy, who's going to take a quick look at what's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown. Kelly, 2023 has seen a lot of highs and lows on the disability front. Rabia Kedra breaks down some of those highlights. A newspaper company in Nova Scotia has started to put obituaries behind a paywall. What? Journalist Rebecca Dingwell will offer some details on that odd situation. And we'll have the latest news quiz of the year with a special focus on the holiday season. That's what's coming up on now. 9 a.m. in the morning. You can find them also available uh, via podcast or here on AMI-tv Live and in repeats as well. Got a story for you, Grant. One probably a little close to home even. Let's talk about The Squirrels Who Stole Christmas, which is a song out there, as a matter of fact. You can find that online. Residents have caught squirrels on camera chewing uh, string-like cords and making away with the bulbs. Some East Vancouver residents say they're losing their outdoor lights to these little sneaky squirrels. Experts say (laughs) the rodents go nuts and chew cables and can mistake acorn-shaped bulbs for food. Ooh, that's cutting to the matter of things, isn't it? Uh, Lauren Kirk, who also lives in the Hastings Sunrise neighborhood of Vancouver, says she's had hundreds of bulbs stolen from her uh, backyard in May. And she said within a week, almost all of her spring lights were gone. Now she had these lights for about eight years and all of a sudden, voila, they're gone. They were just, they just disappeared, she said. A neighbor said to her, I saw a squirrel taking off with these bulbs in their backyard. That's what she told them. The city of Vancouver, in their statement regarding this problem, which is widespread, others have found them as they've been mowing their lawns and underneath the grass and as if the squirrels have taken them and buried them. So the city of Vancouver, in their statement, says electric wires often contain a soy-based plastic covering, which squirrels enjoy chewing. Squirrels also Ah. can confuse acorn-shaped Christmas lights with food. It said preventive measures could use using deterrents such as uh, sprinkling cayenne pepper or spraying diluted hot sauce uh, or apple cider vinegar on wires, the statement says. But people with the uh, persistent problem can, of course, if they wish to spend the money and get a pest control company, if that's what you wish to do. Grant, this is a serious thing. Have you heard anything about this out in your neck of the woods? I haven't, but I'm not surprised because rodents are and, and wild animals are a big problem here. I almost don't even know uh, again how to think about this. It's very inconvenient if it happens to you, but we mm. also kind of have to extend some empathy, I think, to the wild animals who are obviously a struggling for food and yeah. b humans really mess up their ecosystems, don't we? Oh, we just do what we want. No consequence. I don't know if we have reports of any injured squirrels doing this. It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like they're smart enough to say, what the heck is this garbage? (laughs) Well, anyway, those wires tasted good. Sort of like the, uh, well, 
Maybe the, maybe these bulbs are poisonous anyway. I'm not going to eat that. Get the ground glass in me. Anyway, real interesting problem. Good luck to those having to deal with it in any town. Tomorrow on our program, what are the benefits of homemade food versus store-bought goods? Nutritionist Julia Caranchis is here tomorrow beginning at 2 p.m. Eastern to tell us. On our monthly Voices segment, we're joined by AMI President and CEO David Arrington. Oh, good conversation there. Grant, thanks for being with me. We'll talk to you later in the week on the program. Thanks, We'll be folks. back tomorrow, folks. Starting at 2 p.m. Eastern time, we're waving at you. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hadjar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.